Okay, let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness, your love, your grace uh, towards us. We thank you because you have loved us so much that you have called us your own children. You've adopted us into your family and we're eternally grateful. Father, we ask that this evening, uh, today, as we've gathered, please speak to us. Reveal your truth to us. Let it be etched upon our hearts uh, by your spirit. Father, I ask for utterance, utterance to speak your word with power, with fire, but in simplicity in the name of Jesus Christ. Let every heart uh, listening or that will listen be open to your word in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God. Um, one more time, good evening. And I uh, we'll just want us to go right into right into today's um today's you know discussion um last week we was a prayer meeting and i do hope we uh we, we joined in and if you didn't join in please go back to the um to the recording right and and please you know join in. it was really really amazing and I, I I just kept thinking about it, and you know it was awesome. So please go back to it, and we we spent some time praying. But today we want to go into a new uh, conversation. We want to go into a new study, and it's titled "The Laws of Victory." Okay, and where this is coming from is from the idea that God wants us to live live through life victorious. Um, when we say live through life victorious, we are not saying that you uh we will not have challenges or we will not have problems we're not saying that there will not be obstacles on our way on our you know journey in life but what we are saying is that our experience through life will be that of a victor okay and the bible says that we are more than con more than conquerors and that is the description of a victorious life the life that is more than a conqueror and so we want to look at the laws of victory. What are the things that guarantee this victorious life? First of all, is it even possible? And then what are the things, if it is possible, what are the things that guarantee it? Is it a matter of chance? Is it a matter of, um, of fluke? Or is it, you know, as some people say, uh, partiality? Uh, is, does it, is, it, is it that God just seems to favor some people more than the others? All right. So we're going to look at that Um along this study and we also subtitled it how to partner with how to how do we say it how to live a supernatural life yes by partnering with god all right um and so we're going to look into all of that but first let's start off from this passage of scripture that i find very amazing john chapter 10 verse 10 we're going to read uh let me read from the new king james translation first and then we'll read the passion translation uh, which where we'll spend some time, but the gospel of John chapter 10 and verse 10. All right. So it says this, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. So the job description, you know, when someone applies for a job, um, there's a list of things they, they expect the person to do. All right. They say, for instance, you are, you are, you are, we are giving you the role of a manager. Uh, the manager is supposed to do X, Y, Z. This is the expectations we have. This is a, these, are, these are the results and all of that. But then the Bible gives us the, the, a summary of the devil's job description that he has come to steal, 
He has come to kill and he has come to destroy. Everything the devil does is towards one of these, these three things. The eventual goal will be categorized either under, under killing, under stealing, or under destroying. And many times, if the devil can't steal from you, he'll try to kill you. And if he can't, can't kill you, he'll try to destroy you or destroy what God is doing in your life, okay? And so you have to be on, on the guard for the enemy. But this is what the um, job description is, essentially. He has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, okay? Now, the, the scripture continues. It says, I have come, and this is Jesus Christ speaking, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. So everything Jesus Christ, you know, does for us is geared towards us experiencing life, not just experiencing life, but experiencing life in an abundant measure, okay? And I want to, us to just drill down a little bit into this scripture. And part of what I want to do today, right, is to paint a picture of the God that we serve. And so for the, for the most part of today's Bible study, I'll be an artist attempting to paint a picture of God to you. Because many times Christians have embraced a picture of God that is really not him. You know, have you ever seen one of those, uh, maybe post on Instagram or Twitter or wherever, that a child attempts to draw their parents and as good as the intentions of the child is, uh, the drawing is just wrong. It's not just the parents. You know, maybe a five-year-old um, girl is trying to draw her mom. Maybe they asked, they had, you know, asked them to draw, draw their parents in school. And she tried to draw, draw her mom and her dad. And you look at the picture and you're like, hmm, I appreciate your kindness, but, you know, this is not me. And I feel like that's a lot of times that's how God feels when we try to paint a picture of him. We try to describe him and we're describing him so passionately but he's telling us that um, I'm, that's not me really, you know? And so I want us to paint a picture of the God that we serve, all right? So this same verse of scripture, let's read it from the Passion Translation, all right? TPT, that's the Passion Translation. And uh, we're going to break this down and just spend some time um, uncovering this. So look at what the Bible says, um, John chapter 10, verse 10, the Passion Translation says, a thief has only one thing in mind, he wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. So we've dealt with that. But look at what Jesus said. But I have come to give you everything in abundance. He says, I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. And I just want us to, to spend time and marinate, marinate this scripture because Many times when we think of God, we think of God, we think of a God who uh, rations his blessings, or we think of a God who, who has a short supply of resources. So when he gives to somebody, you have to wait before he gets to the next person. And subconsciously, we have even coined languages to, uh, to support this way of thinking. So we hear, we say things like, Ah, today is your turn. My turn will come another day. You know, and the idea that that, that communicates is sometimes is that uh, God God cannot bless two people at the same time. That He has to first bless one person and wait, then re, uh, re, uh, restock His blessings, then come and bless the next person. And that is far from the truth. Of course, people have a good in, have good intention 
um, in you know communicating such. And I'm, I guess what they mean is that um, seasons are different, okay? But subtly, it passes across the idea that um, it's turn by turn, exactly. You know, that's how we say not turn by turn, you know, if you're in Nigeria. And it, the, the idea that passes, that, that passes across is that um, God can bless many people at the same time. God will have to bless, maybe bless your neighbor, and then you wait for another two years before the blessing will come around to you. But that's not what the scripture lets us know. It says that I have come to give you everything in abundance. And when I read the scripture, I just paused to think of how of the nature of God, that there is nothing God does in small quantity. And if there's something I want to take home today is this, that God doesn't do anything in small quantity. Everything God does in, is in abundance. If it doesn't come in abundance, then it's not yet the full, it's either it's not yet the full package or it's not God yet that is doing it. Everything God does is in abundance. He always exceeds our expectation. Always. See, every single time God does a thing, he does it in abundance. He does it way better than we thought. Way, way, way better than we thought. And that's the nature of God. It is an insult for God to just do what you're expecting. I, it, it is, you know, you know how they say um, on the streets, you are spoiling his name. For God to just do only what you expect, that you're expecting, let me just, again, let me use money because it's easy to quantify. You're expecting $1,000 and then God only gives you $1,000 and ends there. No, that's not my God. Every time, and you see through scripture, every time God provides, he provides in abundance. When Jesus Christ was going to feed the 5,000, first of all, there was nothing. You know, all they had was five, um, was five loaves and, why is this in my mind? They had just, you know, five loaves and two fishes, right? And then the, it was impossible to feed 5,000 with that. But then God came and did a miracle, multiplied it. And if, if everybody that was present that day just had a bite from those five loaves and two fishes, then it would have been enough. It would have been enough testimony, at least from a human standard, right? That 5,000 people could have one bite from five loaves and two fishes, then uh, that's, that's enough testimony. But God didn't end there. Everybody had enough to eat and there were 12 baskets remaining. That is just amazing. And that shows you how God does his things, that every time he's involved, he does it in abundance. Jesus Christ said, I have come to give you everything in abundance, everything in abundance. So God doesn't just do small things or God doesn't just meet. You know, if you come to God and say, oh, God, I need clothes and God just give you clothes for only you to wear. That's not a, the complete testimony of God. The complete testimony of God is that he gives you so much clothes that you become a distributor of clothes. That's the way God works okay another example i mean and this this same thing when just Christ fed five thousand, would have said okay that's one of you know once in a while maybe it's, it's just a one-time experience but again he fed four thousand people from seven loaves and few fishes again and guess what uh, um there was se there was seven baskets full if, if i recall correctly so there was a remainder of resources that's because that is the way god operates that means these people ate so much and mind you, they had been just, I want you to picture this. They had been with Jesus for three days. He was teaching them, teaching them, teaching them. And Jesus Christ looked at them and said, ah, man, these people, they need to go back and eat. So if not, they'll faint. If they don't eat now, they'll faint on their way back. And there was provision so much that 
the, the provision was enough to cover for the days of food that they missed, and it was remaining in abundance. That is the kind of God we serve. That everything he does, he does it in abundance. And never forget this. God does not do small things. Everything God provides is in abundance. The oxygen you are breathing today doesn't run out. The water on the earth has been on the earth as long as the earth has existed and it hasn't run out. So that is the kind of God we serve. Another example, when Peter um, was, you know, toiled all night and he didn't catch any fish, Jesus Christ, you know, came to him and said, catch, um, cast your net on the right side of, the, of your boat. So he did so and he caught so much that his net began to break. This is a man that did not have one single fish after toiling all night. And then Jesus Christ came and there was abundance, so much more than he could even expect. expect. If Peter had caught a quarter net of, of fish, he would have gone back and said, ah, thank you. At least I did not come back empty-handed. If he had caught half a net of fish, he would have gone and really said, you know, guys, after this all night, I was almost giving up and I caught something at the end of the day. Praise the Lord. Even if Peter had caught a full net of fish, that would have been a testimony. But that's not what God did. God gave him so much fish that his net began to break. That means the blessing was oversized, overload, that his capacity was not enough to even contain the blessing. And this is the way God operates, that it might be coming from a place of scarcity, but then God moves you drastically to a place of abundance, so much that you could never have imagined that level of abundance or level of increase or level of growth from that your place of scarcity. Just think about Joseph, right? He had a dream. Um, from his dream, he saw, he saw the sun and the moon and then seven, um, the 11 stars bowing down to him. And Joseph's interpretation was that my family will bow down to me and worship me. And if that was like only what happened, then that would have even been a, a miracle, a testimony. But then Joseph went, journey through life and eventually found himself in, in a prison. There was no way he would have thought of even that dream alone coming to pass. That means his, his family alone, even you know, bowing down before him, there's no way he would have thought of, thought of that. But what God did was more than just his family. It was the entire world that was sustained by the increase that, jo that God brought to Joseph's life. And again, I'm just trying to paint a picture of the kind of God we serve. So it's not the kind of God where that you go and meet him and say, God, please, you know, I just need food for today. And then God looks at you and say, ah, this is my child, this is my child, Seth. Ah, let me just give you one plate of food. You don't need more than a plate. No, no, no. Listen, you are the one that is afraid of excess. God is not afraid of excess. God lives in, a, in, a, in, a, in an ecosystem of abundance. There's nothing lacking. Nothing lacking in the system of God. And so every time God responds to our needs, he responds from that place of abundance. Just Christ said, um, for God so loved the, I mean, John chapter 3, 16, right? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that um, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed him should not perish but have eternal life. That life is eternal. In fact, just going by the, by the quantification of the life alone, it is eternal, it doesn't end. And that's the way God operates, Okay. And I'm, I'm going to read all this just to show you and paint a picture that God is not a God who is, who is pleased by your suffering and you living below his standard. And yes, there is a place for um, what we call Christian persecution or going through trials and tribulation, but it is always for a season. It is not a perpetual experience all through your life. It is always for a season and it is usually 
um, for the for the cause of the gospel. So the self-inflicted, you know, suffering or living below the standard of God is not God's best. That's what I'm trying to say, say to us. In fact, when the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ever ask or imagine. That is the God that we serve. All right. And I want us to re I want us to edit the image of God that we have in our minds. And you know, sometimes it can be so tempting to develop a theology that supports our circumstance simply because our circumstance might be taking longer than we, than we expect. So what I mean, for instance, is that somebody is going through a season of, of just a season of trial and maybe that season um, of, of lack or you know, testing is just is, is elongating, okay? It's being there for a while. To appease the person's mind, the person can create a theology that says, that God doesn't want us to have too much. And they will now use a, 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 a portion of the Bible that says, God, don't give me more than I can handle so that, you know, I will not sin against you. And what they really mean is that they are, they are trying to, to mold a theology that supports their current situation. And that's a very risky thing to do because what will happen eventually is that they'll keep on seeing God from that light and they will fight the abundance that God is giving somebody and even the one that God wants to bring into their lives with their own hands and with their own you know, consciousness, they will resist it. But from what we see from scripture, God gives us everything in abundance. Does that mean you always have money or you always have what you want? No, but there is an abundance mindset that God wants us to sustain, even when we are going through seasons of um, trials or seasons or, or waiting periods, like we call it. Everything God does, he does it in abundance. I'll ask you a question and you show me from scripture. What is it that God ever provided that he only provided in small quantity? Think about, I've given us some examples, but I mean, you think about it. What is that God ever provided and he gave us in small quantity? Imagine this, God had just created Adam and Eve and only two of them were in the garden. Yet there were so many trees in the garden that they could eat from and they just had, had, the, the, had to make a choice from whatever they want to eat. That's the way God thinks that you might just be in a, in a you might think, oh, I'm just a small you know, girl or a small boy. What, you know, what, what, I don't need so much you know, in my life. But God is saying, I want to give you so much and the reason, like I said earlier, is because God wants you to be an overflow of his blessings. You know, the Bible says, hmm, okay, uh, let, let, let me, I'll, I'll say that in a bit, but let's go systematically. So God wants to give us things in abundance, all right? Just one more example as we proceed. When the Israelites needed food to eat in the, in the you know, desert, God sent manna to them. And every single day there was manna. And every day the Israelites could not finish the abundance of manna that was provided. Just think about this. Somebody would think that God is a wasteful God. Why would he give them so much manna than, than they need? But God is a God of abundance. And you need to understand the fatherhood of God to be able to embrace this um, abundance uh, economy of God. Because any of you here, if you have your children, you want your children to be able to, you know, make choices, pick choices from their clothes. You won't just give them of course, part-time, they can't wear more than maybe a shirt and a trouser, but 
you're not just going to buy them a shirt and a trouser. You probably buy them 30 or 50 or whatever amount so that they can always have options to pick from. So imagine the person who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You now tell me that he's just going to give you only small so that you'll be managing it, ah, managing it and say, ah, I'm just getting by. You know, it's by the grace of God. That's not the idea that, um, that God wants us to have of him, okay? Now let's go back to our scripture, John chapter 10 and verse 10. Well, I'm reading from the Passion Translation again. It says that a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. Then he goes on to say that, but I have come to give you everything in abundance. He says more than you expect. And I, I just love this, more than you expect. And I dare to say today that challenge God and ex believe him for something and just wait till he brings it to pass. You know, it will always be more than you expect. If you had told me maybe five years ago, that I will be where I am in terms of just growth and all of that. I would have said, amen, no, let me not sound like an unbeliever, but I wouldn't have seen or, or I wouldn't have been able to imagine it. In fact, maybe my, my definition or description of, of where I will be would certainly not even be up to how God has, has, has you know, helped me so far. And, and I'm just starting. And this is the, the, the testimony that God wants all of us to have, a life of victory that what results in our lives is beyond what we expected. And that's one of the signs that you know it is God. Then he goes on to say this. Um, so more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. And this is where one thing I want to emphasize again, that everything God does in our lives cannot just stop at you alone. It must overflow. It must overflow. When Jesus Christ turned water to wine at the wedding, there was so much in abundance that, you know, the, the, the governor of the wedding said, ah, that normally people bring um, the good wine, people bring the good wine first and then the not so good wine after people have drunk and they're over and they're now full. But you have kept the best wine for the, for the later. What he was saying in essence is that we've drunk to our full but you are still bringing more wine. And the one you are bringing is even better than the one we are, we are drunk. So there's always the concept of overflowing with God, okay? You know, the King James Version says, um, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly or super abundantly. That is the nature of God. And a passage of scripture that, you know, adequately describes this overflow mindset of God is found in the book of Genesis. Uh, let me read that very quickly. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. When God was speaking to um, Abraham and making a promise to him, look at what God said. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation, <clears throat> and I will bless thee. If God had just stopped at, I will bless thee or bless you, that would have been fantastic enough. I mean, I'm blessed, I'm great. That's, you know, awesome. But that's not where he stopped. And this shows you the mindset of God. He says, I will bless thee and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. So God doesn't stop at blessing you and making your name great. He wants you to be a blessing. That is that overflow mentality that God doesn't only want to give you uh, what is enough for you, but God wants to give you so much that it can overflow to other people. And we also have to embrace this mindset because if we don't, we'll stop at just being blessed. We'll not press on to being a blessing. And 
It is a selfish way of thinking to be satisfied by being blessed. For you to think that I just want enough for me, my family, my children, that's all. I just want to me, you know, just want to buy two cars, buy a house, take my children to school, and then you, it ends there. That's the whole, that's the satisfaction of your life. It is a selfish thing to think that way because God wants not only to bless you, but he wants you to be a blessing to others. So God doesn't only want to provide for your, your children's school fees. He wants to provide for you so much that you can pay other people's children's school fees. He doesn't just want to give you a house. He wants to make you a giver of houses, okay? And um, I like the way Joy puts it here in the, uh, Sister Joy puts in the in the comments in, on Zoom. He says, provide so you can be a source of resources. I love that. So God is not only providing for you to consume on yourself. No, he's providing so that you can be a, a source of resources. That's the way God, you know, works with us. And I want us to stretch our faith, you know, all through this study to embrace this mindset of overflow so that you, you manage to have a, a, just to eat. It's a testimony, yes, but you shouldn't end there. You should press into God and say, God, there are five people on my streets that if I give them this plate of food, they'll be excited. Provide for me so that I can extend that blessing to them. Oh, I have a bag of rice in my house. Thank God. But how many bags of rice can I give out? Oh, yes, I have um, a car. But how about people that do not have and they are, they are struggling with it? You know, that, that mindset. And the moment you shift your mentality, you will now find out that God is releasing more into you because he knows that you are going to be a channel of resources to others. You know, I was speaking with someone some weeks ago and just talking about how elastic God is and that God will always shrink or expand to the to the degree that we our mindset allows him to so somebody is thinking of of maybe again let me just use you know monetary figure someone is thinking of maybe one thousand dollars and that's all that their mind is embracing and they're trusting god for it and that's fantastic god will provide that money for them somebody else is thinking of a hundred thousand dollars and guess what it is the same god that will provide for them so is god partial no what is different is the partnership of the people involved. And this is, you know, the fundamental thing we want to see all through this study. How can we partner with God so that we can experience God's best on earth? See, we're going to go to heaven. There's no question about that. As long as you're born again, you're a Christian, you go to heaven. The question is, what is the quality of life you live here on earth? And how much of God will you represent and extend to other people here on earth? And that is the law of victory that I want us to look, look at, all right? You know, the laws of victory. How can we partner with God to, to express his possibilities here on earth, all right? So I hope with these few points, I, I mean, so far I've been able to convince you that God is the God of overflow. He doesn't do small things. He doesn't do small things. No, not at all. He, everything God does is always in abundance. It's always in abundance, okay? And God derives pleasure in that. He derives pleasure in showing the extent of his capacity. And something you must know about God is that God loves to show off. That one, he loves it. He's, you know, when the Bible says he's a jealous God, he wants to show his capacity and he wants to do so through your life. He's not going to just show his capacity only by the animals or the trees. No, he wants to use your life as a, as a um, canvas to paint his capacity on, okay? And that's, you need to embrace that possibility and tell yourself, you know what? God is making a name for himself through my life. So the things God will do in your life, 
will be so big that he's, he, you hope everybody will know this is God. By the time they look at your story, look at your history, everybody will know that this one, it is the hand of God at work. And I want us to embrace that possibility. Okay, now moving on, having seen that God is an overflow God, all right? God is, an, is a God of abundance. God is not a God that uh, mises his resources. His blessings are limitless, okay? Now, the next thing I want us to also see is how God expects or how God designed for us to live right here on earth. I was going to see that um, from you know, a couple of scriptures. First of all, let's look at, let's go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and um, 26 to 28. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. We want to see how God designed for us to live on earth. All right, because, you know, one of the things that makes people, one of the things that makes Christianity frustrating for a lot of people is when there's a big gap between what they read in scripture and what they are seeing in their lives. That can be a very frustrating experience. Where somebody reads and, and sees that um, God is my healer, I'm the, I'm the one that heals thee. But then they look at their life and it doesn't, there's nothing that represents the healing power of God. When they open the word of God and say, and they see that the part of it just is as a shining light that shines more and more to the perfect day. But in their life, it doesn't look like anything is shining or there's an increase. It can be so frustrating. And people have left the faith because of this disparity. And we want to see how we can close that gap between what the word of God says and what our experience is on earth. But let's look at this from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, okay? And the Lord said, um, yep, and the Lord said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, <clears throat> okay? And let them have dominion. So take note of the word <clears throat> dominion. It says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the, of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him, <clears throat> male and female created he them. Verse 28, 28, and the Lord, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion again over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. It will interest you to know that man was not the only one that God blessed to be fruitful and multiply. If you go back a few verses in verse 22, right? Just after, okay, verse 21, God created the whales and every creature that moves um, which the waters brought forth abundantly uh, with every kind, every fowl, you know, every winged fowl after its kind. And God saw it was good. Verse 22, and God blessed them. So he was speaking to the animals. God blessed them. And he said, he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters and all of that. Let the fowl multiply in the earth. So God blessed even the animals to be fruitful and multiply. And it's the same thing he said to man to be fruitful and multiply. But that's not the only thing he said to man. And this is where we see the distinguishing factor between man, okay, and other animals. That yes, God blessed other animals to be fruitful and multiply. And he also blessed man the same way. But there was something extra that God added to man. And in verse 28, after he said, be fruitful and multiply, he goes on to say, 
replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So all of that is summed up in that dominion mandate. And what this means is that by God's design, God expects man to rule over earth. And not just ruling over the physical things in earth, but also ruling in the experiences that man has. And this is how God designed us to live, okay? God designed us to live a life of dominion, where whatever situation we go going through, we have dominion over that situation. We're experiencing dominion over the circumstances of our lives. And this is what I'm saying, that when we talk about the victorious life or the abundant life, we're not saying a life that does not have problems. We're not saying a life that does not have challenges. That's impossible. Jesus Christ said, in this world, you will have problems. But he didn't end there. He said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So we're not talking of a life that is void of problems. No, we're talking of a life that conquers in the midst of those challenges. We're talking of a life that dominates. We're talking of a life that enforces the victory of God over those, you know, over that situation. And that's what we're talking about. So from Genesis, we see that man's build was to walk in dominion and to walk in victory. Do you understand that? Okay. Um, and if you if you if you understand this, you now see why when Moses was before the Red Sea, the Israelites had just come out of Egypt and they were you know moving on that journey. And the Egyptians just said, "How? I mean, how can we let these people go? Let's run after them." And they ran after the Israelites. But at this point, the Israelites didn't have anywhere to go. The Red Sea was in front of them. There were mountains to their left and to the right, and behind them were the Egyptians. And Moses, the people were crying to, to Moses. And Moses turned to and said, crying to God, what are we going to do? And God looked at Moses and said, why are you crying to me? You know, that question carries the impression that you should dominate this situation. You should not be crying to me. And I feel like God is saying to someone here today that, why are you wailing to me? I, I, and I know sometimes our cry is packaged in the form of prayer and we're calling on the name of God. But God is looking at you and says, this situation, you should dominate it. The situation should not be dominating you. Why are you crying to me? Why are you just sitting down and waiting for me? And God spoke to Moses and said, tell the Israelites to move forward. And so many times, that is what we need to do with our lives. We need to move forward. We are sitting down and we are waiting and say, God will do it. One day, God will do it. And God is saying, my power doesn't move when you are, when you are in one spot. My power moves when you move. And we're saying, God, God would, God would uh, you change my life. You change my story one day. And God is saying, if you don't stand up, I cannot change your story. And this also, this mindset and this, you know, this understanding will help you see why Jesus Christ would meet people that were leprous and you tell them, pick up your mat and walk, pick up your bed and walk. How would somebody that is, is um, crippled pick up his bed? What Jesus is saying that you must dominate that situation for my power to flow. And that's the way God wants us to operate, to operate from a standpoint of victory over the situations of our life, okay? And I'm reading Genesis just to show us that. Let me read one more scripture to, to take that thought further. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Just to show you that God wants us to live a victorious life and don't embrace any idea 
or theology that suggests you should go through life defeated, that you should go through life with your head, you know, hanging down, and you're just saying, you know, it's just the will of God, you know. Ah, you say, look, have you been in this for so long? I say, ah, only God knows. You say, when, when will your life become better? Ah, only God knows, oh, you know, we're in the hands of God. You know, if God does not do anything, who am I? You know, all those kind of funny ideologies. No, that is not godly. That's not what the scripture teaches. You can live a victorious life where you are. And yes, I know that there are seasons in life and we journey through life in phases and in seasons. But I'm saying that in every season where you are, you are operating from a point of victory, not a point of defeat where you are waiting for God to come and do something, whereas God is waiting for you to partner with him so that his power can flow. Romans chapter 5 verse 17. The Bible says, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, this is Romans chapter 5 verse 17, if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. They will not, they will not hustle in life. They will reign in life. They will not um, scramble through life. No, they will reign in life. Listen, there's a reason why the Bible calls us kings and queens. There's a reason. Because there's a mindset God is trying to pass across to us that we are kings and priests and we shall reign in this life. That, that is powerful. So any experience you are going through and you are not a king in that experience, you need to go back to the word of God and reset your mind, your mindset. You need to go back and reset your ideology because God's expectation is that you will reign in life. And I'm telling you that even if you are going through a waiting period, a waiting season, you can still reign in life in that waiting season. Do you understand? We're not going through life trying to feel oh defeated and say, ah, you know, it's just the way God designed my life to be. You know, God is God. I'm not among the people that will be rich in this life. You know, God has already destined that some will be rich, some will be poor. That's not true. That's not true. No, the Bible says in Proverbs that the rich and the poor, God made them. He did not say God made them rich or poor. God made everybody. You are the one that determines, you know, how the, the quality of your life. Okay. And I'm not just talking about money alone. Because I'm careful so that this doesn't sound like a materialistic um, teaching. But I'm trying to tell you that the quality of your life can be improved and can be, be better so you can live at God's best. All right? In fact, the Bible says that after you have suffered for a while, First Peter, I believe, chapter 5, verse 10, he says, after the God of all grace, after you suffered for a while, he will establish you and keep you and, you know, increase you. So the suffering is for a while, it's for a while, it's for a while. The Bible says our light and momentary um, trials, I'm paraphrasing now, um, which lasts for a moment, work it for us a far exceeding weight of glory. So it's always for a moment, all right? So um, Romans chapter 5 verse 17, it says, much more they which receive abundance of grace. And what the scripture is saying here is that if death had reigned because of one man's sin, death had reigned, you know, as a result of that sin, how much more we that we have now received two things, abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. The Bible says we'll reign in this life through Christ Jesus. And that is God's, <coughs> God's design for us, that we should reign through life. Again, you must reign through life. And that is why the Bible calls us kings and queens, so that we reign in this life. We're not going through life as beggars, no. We're not going through life as victims of circumstances. How else will the world know the power of God? <clears throat> Excuse me. How else will the world know the power of God if we are 
victims of our circumstances. No, God's design is for us to reign. And the way we demonstrate the power of God is by reigning over difficulties, reigning over situations. The Bible says light shines in darkness. If light does not shine in darkness, then what is the value and where is the glory of light? So I want, just want to establish first and foremost in our consciousness that God wants us to live a victorious life. Regardless of what you go through, God wants you to live a victorious life. And if you can embrace this, this thought, you will see problems in a different way. You will see challenges as opportunities to exercise the dominion of God in that situation. And I want us to be empowered in our minds. I want us to be empowered in our souls that it doesn't matter how tough things may be. It doesn't matter how impossible even they may be. God still wants us to reign in those situations. I would want us to stand up in our minds and say, we will conquer. We will take this land just the same way Caleb and Joshua, Joshua said to the children of Israelites. These people are like, are like bread before us. We will we will eat them for breakfast. We will consume them. We will take the land. Let us stand up in our consciousness. I mean, it is, it is, I think it's an insult to your salvation for you to be backing down from challenges because you think, ah, there's nothing I can do. Ah, I cannot go more than this. No, it's an insult to, us, to your salvation. If Jesus Christ could rise from the dead after three days by the power of God and that same power dwells inside of you and I, Doing what is house rent or what is uh, business money, what is school fees, what is what are those things that we cannot overcome? All right, so I want us to stand up in our consciousness and take a stand of victory. And the beginning point is just changing your mindset and seeing from scripture that God wants you to reign in life, okay? All right, so let's progress a little further now. So it is true, number one, that God is a God of abundance. He doesn't do small things. Number two, it is true that God wants us to reign in life because think about this you have a a god who who is a god of abundance who is so mighty so powerful if somebody comes and tells you that this thing god cannot do it you are going to fight and argue with the person and says that's not true how can you talk about my god like that do you know who my god is he parted the red sea he brought water from the rocks he walked on water you're going to argue with the person and you say my god can do all things all things. But then when it now comes to you and says, okay, if your God can do all things and you are a child of God, then shouldn't you be overcoming this situation? Then you start looking for excuses and say, well, and it's not like that. Yes, my God, you know, God is God. Me, I'm just, I'm just small. You begin to give excuses for God. All right. But that's not how God wants us to live. He wants our lives to demonstrate and represent his own capacity because, you know, how else will the world know that God is able, if not through our lives? God is not going to come down and walk on the earth and start, you know, you know, showing his power in that sense. He demonstrates his power through us. So when we conquer, the world knows that Jesus is alive. When we overcome in a situation, the world knows, knows that God is real. And God wants us to fully represent his, his power even in these uh, last days that we are in. Now, if this is true, the question then is how does or how can we, you know, see God's power at work? And the simple answer is one, by partnering with God. But I want to explain this concept of partnering with God and show us from scripture that this is actually how heaven operates. That God doesn't just do things in isolation. He does things in partnership with men and women on earth 
for his power to be revealed. Okay. But let's start with a, with a passage of scripture from Psalm 119, verse 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. <clears throat> Psalm 119, verse 89. The Bible says that forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So the word of God is settled. That is 100% true. Um, the only you know, little challenge here is that it is in heaven that it is settled. It doesn't say that it is settled on earth. And, and what this means is that, of course, the word of God is valid on earth. That's all we're saying. We're saying that, the word of God has not yet been, has not yet materialized, all right, on earth, just as it has materialized in heaven. And that's why Jesus Christ, you know, in the Lord's prayer said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God's will is established in heaven. And that is his word. It's established in heaven, but he has not yet been established on earth. Okay. And this is even true in our lives. That when God speaks his word to us, he speaks the word he has spoken to us um, is settled already in heaven, but in our lives, our lives have not yet manifested in, in a perfect measure that word that he has spoken to us, okay? And so what do we then do to align our earthly experience with our heavenly reality, all right? And this is what I want us to look at. And the way we do this is by partnering with God. But just before I go on, part of the frustration people have sometimes is that they receive a word from God and they are 100% sure that this word is from God. It's not, they're not doubting. They know they heard God. They know they received the word from God. But after some time, it looks like that word they received, there's nothing happening in their lives. It's not, it's not um, coming to pass. They are still waiting on it. And they begin to feel frustrated. And so the question is, how can, can that word now come to pass? And it is through this concept of partnership. where heaven partners with earth, or earth rather partners with heaven, to see the will of God come to pass on earth. So I said here that God's word is settled in heaven, but it would require the collaboration of earth for it to manifest. Now, let us go begin to see an important principle from scripture, okay? Um, and to see this principle, let's go back to the book of Genesis. You know, when you go to the book of Genesis, you see a lot of things as they should be, all right? Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Okay? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. I hope we're, we're reading together. All right. The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, if you go to chapter 1, you see in chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, where we even read, the Bible says that God, God said, let's make man an image and all of that. And then God made man in his image. And this is the, the spirit of man that God had made. And in this, in this um, form, man existed in the realm of the spirit. But then in chapter 2, and, and at this point, there was no physical representation of man on the earth yet. And I've, I've explained this to us, you know, at previous Bible study that there are two aspects of, of creation, um, what, what I call one, creation, and two, formation. 
The creation is in chapter one, where God spoke, God spoke, let there be lights, God spoke, let it, let there be flowers, let there be birds, let there be man, all of that. Everything God did in chapter one was speaking. And that is the spirit, that's the um, spiritual dimension, the spiritual creation. But then in chapter two, we see the physical formation, meaning how the things that God had created in the realm of the spirit, how they materialized on this earth. And this is a very powerful principle I don't want you to miss. And if you understand this, you, your life will become easier. I'm telling you that in, in chapter one, God created man. But in chapter two, God formed man. And how did God form man? Look at what happened in verse seven. Chapter two, verse seven, and God formed man of the dust of the ground. So even though God had created man and, you know, his spirit, the possibility of, of the existence of man was created in the realm of the spirit. But when man, when it was time for man to materialize on earth, God had to come to the earth and take dust from the earth to form man. What this tells you is that for there to be a manifestation on earth, even the things that God has spoken, for there to be a manifestation on earth, there has to be an involvement of earth for a manifestation to happen on earth. And the Bible says God formed man out of the ground, okay? And that is the physical, you know, contribution, let me put it that way, the physical collaboration, all right? Remember, it's a partnership. That's the physical contribution that earth provided. It was from the dust of the earth that God formed man. But he did not end there. If God had just formed man alone, Man would have just been a, a dead body, you know, on the earth. But what brought man to life? Look at what it says in verse 7, the B part says, and breathe into man, his, into his nostrils, the breath of life. The breath of life is a spiritual aspect. The formation of man is the physical aspect. This spiritual, physical aspect and the spiritual aspect coming together is what made man a living soul. And this is the same principle that God employs in our lives that God wants to bring the supernatural in our lives. He has to first take the natural and then add the super to it and it becomes a supernatural experience. And if we're going to live supernatural lives, then we must understand this principle that the things that God has already established in heaven, the things that God has established concerning our lives, concerning our destinies, concerning our families, concerning our marriages, concerning our finances, concerning our health, all the things that God has already established in the realm of, of the spirit, all right, as revealed by his word, we must find out what our earthly partnership would mean for those things to materialize. Because once earth brings its contribution and heaven brings its own contribution, then there is a manifestation on the earth and it is now a supernatural life. Now, the mistake, there are two mistakes that people can make. Number one mistake is that People can be heavily reliant on the earthly parts, okay? They can be so involved in the formation of man. They want everything to be perfect, all the earthly things that they need to do. They are so involved in it and they ignore the spiritual dimension. And so, for instance, somebody, you know, is looking for a job and the person prepares for a job, um, you know, reads all the assessment questions, does all the preparation, and they ignore the spiritual dimension, that's one possibility, and that's one possibility of error. The second possibility of error is that, and this is typically among Christians, that people focus entirely on the spiritual parts and they develop a laziness, a fiscal laziness to the work that, they, that is required of them. Think about this, that this was God himself, right? God, there's nobody more mighty than God. 
But when it came to create to the formation of man, God went to work and he molded, he, 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 he did work to form man from the dust of the earth. He didn't just say, because I'm God, I can speak things to existence. I just do things as I want. No, he, he went and he molded man. And the mistake many Christians make is that they focus entirely on the spiritual parts and they ignore the physical contribution. So in, again, it's an example of someone looking for a job. They pray, they fast, they declare God's word. I'm going to get a seven-figure job. I will work in the top national, multinational in this, in this country. I will do this. And they're praying and they're fasting seven days dry. Oh, there's even sow seeds. But then let them prepare and acquire the skills for that job. They, they don't do it, you know? And that is one of the errors. But what God's ideal is, is that there's an earthly contribution and there's a spiritual contribution. And only when the natural comes, collides with the spiritual before it becomes a supernatural, um, supernatural ex experience. And I just have a few minutes for us today, but I wanted to show us from several portions in scripture. Um, I mean, just a few portions, right, from scripture. There are several. I just want to show us a few portions from scripture to Prove to us that in every supernatural process, there is an earthly contribution and a heavenly contribution. Let us start with a very obvious one from the book of Exodus, uh, chapter, Exodus chapter 17. You can read the whole chapter for the you know uh, appropriate context, but I just want to give you us, I'll read a few verses and just tell us what, what happened there. So essentially, what happened here was that um God had you know, said uh, that the Israelites would totally destroy the Amalekites because, you know, when they came out of Egypt, the Amalekites did not support them and all of that. And God wanted to execute his, his will, okay? Or he start executing his will from, from the days of Joshua. And so God told them to go into battle. And now this is, this is God speaking to them, says, go into battle and um, Joshua prepared his mighty men and went into battle. Now look at verse 11, Exodus chapter 17, verse 11. It says, and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy and, you know, Aaron and Hor came to support him and he lifted up his hand till the going down of the sun and they won that battle. Now, if somebody had just come and looked at Joshua fighting. The person will say, wow, the reason why Joshua is, is winning this battle is because Joshua is such a skilled warrior. The army of Israel, they are so powerful. They've been training. They are so strong. That's why they are winning. The person would not, might, would not see Moses on the mountain. If an, another person came from the mountain perspective and saw Moses, they'll say, wow, the reason why these people are winning is just because Moses is raising his hand. That means all I just need to do is to raise my hand and my enemies will just start falling down. They might not take cognizance of the people in the valley that were fighting, actually fighting the war. And this is a very vivid description of how heaven and earth partners for the supernatural to happen in a person's life. That there is the Joshua in the valley fighting, but there's also the Moses on the mountain lifting up his hands. And if there is no Joshua fighting, the lifting the hands of Moses will be in vain. If there's no Moses lifting hands, the Joshua fighting will be in vain. So you need that collaboration of heaven and earth for the supernatural to occur in your life. Okay, another example. Um, in 2 Kings chapter 4, from verse 1 to verse 7, you can read it. 
there's a story of this weed of this widow whose husband was a was once a prophet okay and um this husband died and left the widow in a lot of debt and the widow went to meet <clears throat> elisha and said what am i going to do my husband left me in a lot of debt and then the man of god said mm, what do you have in your house? And the woman said, I don't have anything except just a little quantity of oil. And, and the, the, the prophet said to her, you know what? That little, of quantity, that little quantity of oil that you have, go and borrow a lot of vessels from your neighbors and begin to pour the oil into the vessel. And she did that. And as she poured the oil, the oil did not cease. The oil kept on flowing, kept on flowing, kept on flowing until the vessels finished. And once there was, there was no more container, the oil ceased. My question now is, if she had, first of all, if she just had oil, um, containers alone, a lot of containers without the supernatural, her problem would not have been solved. Second thing is, if the prophet had spoken and she did not get any containers, she only made, probably only got one. It's only that one that will happen. It will look as though God got what is not, is not powerful. It will look as if God is unfaithful. And this is one of the problems that Christians have had, that they have not understood how to partner with God for his word to come to pass. So it looks like God is unfaithful, whereas it's their partnership that is missing. So it takes that supernatural, um, um, spiritual, you know, virtue and the natural supply of, of container for the supernatural to come to pass. Okay. Another example. Um, when Jesus Christ turned water to wine, he, when they came to meet him and said, oh, the wine has finished, all Jesus Christ asked them for was to fill two large um, pots with water. And water is natural. They had water everywhere. It was not scarcity of water that they had. It was scarcity of wine. But Jesus Christ took what was natural and then the supernatural came upon it. If they did not provide that water, if they did not fill the jars with water, and it will look it will look as if Jesus Christ was not powerful. It will look as if Jesus Christ is not faithful. It will look as if ah, God spoke something and did not come to pass. Meanwhile, the power had been released, but it was their obedience that was that was um, that was required to make that supernatural happen. And then once they filled the water with filled the jars with water, and they went to serve, it became wine. So if they were they didn't fill it with water, they would have not been wine eventually and if they filled it with water without jesus christ speaking to them they would have just still had water without that wine so again it takes the combination of the natural and the supernatural for god's um power to flow or for the supernatural to to manifest itself finally okay and uh, um we'll probably begin to round up on this note when jesus was going to feed the five thousand all they had was five loaves and um, two fishes. And that was obviously not enough to feed 5,000. But Jesus Christ took that natural quantity that they had and blessed it, releasing the supernatural upon it, and then it became a miracle. And I'm, I'm going through all these stories just to emphasize the, the point that this is the pattern for supernatural occurrences to work in anybody's life. There must be a collaboration of earth with heaven for the power of God to flow, okay? And one more thing I want to point just as we wrap up is that every time there is a, a requirement for the, for the natural, 
God does not ask you to do what is impossible. God always asks you to do what is possible and he will do what is impossible. And this is one of the ways you know that God is leading you. Every time God is leading you in a prophetic action or whatever it is, he will always ask you to do something that is possible. He will never ask you to do what is beyond your reach. He asked them to fill the jars with water. It was not an impossible task. Um, he asked Moses before the, the Red Sea to just really lift up his hand and stretch his rod. It was not an impossible task. Um, the widow, she, she, the, the prophet did not ask her to go and get what she did not have. It was what she already had in her house. It was not an impossible thing. When Jesus Christ was going to feed 5,000, or he used what, what, what was available. And this is the way God works. He will only ask you to do what is possible while he will do what is impossible. And the danger is that sometimes you may look at the possible thing you have and ignore it and ask yourself, ah, what is this among so many? You know, when Josh Christ wanted to feed 5,000, the way they looked at it is that we just have five loaves and two fishes. There's nothing this thing can do. And that's one of the dangers that humans can fall into where you look at what you already have as, as nothing. So much that when God says, ask you to take a prophetic action with what you have, you might even despise the leading of God because you feel like, I mean, it's just oil. I've, I've had this oil for, for the longest time. And it's still the same oil you want to bless me with. You know, just ignore it. But that we must not fall into that danger. When the, when the um, military officer, Naaman, uh, wanted to be, to be cured of his leprosy, and he went to meet Elisha. Elisha said, go and dip yourself in water. In fact, let me just read this. Please, last scripture. Let me read it. And just to show you the, the mindset that Naaman had. Um, Second Kings chapter 5. Let me just read this one quickly for us, and I will wrap up here. Second Kings chapter 5. Just look at verse, um, verse 11. Second Kings chapter 5. Verse 11, he says, but Naaman was wroth, meaning Naaman was angry, and went away and said, behold, I thought he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of, the, of his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Naaman essentially was saying, I thought this, this prophet would come and do something very difficult and then I'll be healed. You know, Naaman was, Naaman was, what's the word? He was, um, he was underwhelmed by the instruction that, that, um, that the prophet gave him. And again, this is the danger that we fall into a lot of times, that we're expecting something magnanimous. When God speaks to us, he, we're expecting that you ask us to travel and walk, you know, walk 10 kilometers without our shoes so that the, the power will flow. Sometimes we're expecting that God will tell us, go on 70 days dry fast for my power. And meanwhile, God is, from scripture, you've seen that all the instructions God will give us are always within our capacity. Never forget, God will not ask you to do what is impossible. That is his own work. He will ask you to do what is possible. And in your obedience to that instruction, he will now do what is impossible. And when Naaman went and dipped in the, in the sea seven times, in fact, what, what, one of, what one of his servants told him was that, ah, Oga, Ah, you know, if I imagine the prophet told you to do something very, very, very difficult, wouldn't you do it? And the man said, I'll do it. And I said, ah, but Oga, at least now, just this one that I said you should do, just, just, just try it and do it, in fact. And the man went and he was healed. And so when the supernatural would work in our lives, 
God will always ask us to do something, but it will be something that is always within our capacity to do. And maybe this is one of the ways you, you even know false prophets, okay? When somebody comes and tells you to go and bring a seed of 10 million naira, and you know that you really don't have it, and it says, unless you bring that seed, this your problem cannot be solved, you can automatically tell that this one is not sent from God. When God sends people your way, or when God brings instruction your way, it will always be within the boundaries of what you can do, or what you can afford, all right, or what is within your reach. God will not, God sent, um, um, Jesus Christ told the lepers, right, to go and show themselves to the priest, and as they were going, they were healed. It was not something, he didn't ask them to, you know, just, I mean, just think of something impossible, he didn't ask them to do that. It is always natural, and, and that's the word. It is supernatural. The part that you are doing is not the super part. That is God's part. The part you do is the natural part, and then God comes with his power in, in, in honor of your obedience to bring the supernatural to pass, okay? So I said here that in a supernatural process, everything God will ask you to do will be natural and simple. He will do the super part. And... um. Um, just a, a scripture that comes to mind when Jesus Christ said, my body is easy and my yoke is light. So God will ask you to do something impossible. But as you obey, then the, his power begins to flow. Okay. Uh, so we have to stop here because of time. Um, but just recapping things that we've be, been able to establish today. Number one is that God is a God of abundance. And, you know, like they say, it's like they say it here in Nigeria, just dead that idea that God wants you to be God wants you to be micromanaging and struggling and ah, just scraping through life. No, that is not God at all. Everything God does, he does it in abundance. Number two, we saw that God wants us to reign in life. God doesn't want us to go through life as victims of circumstances or victims of environment or victims in, in general. No, he wants us to reign in every situation. And like I said, yes, we are going through stages. We are going through phases in life. But we, God wants us to reign at every level that we are in, okay? And then number three thing we've established is that even though God's word is, is, is settled in heaven, it will require human partnership on earth for it to manifest on the earth. And we saw the um, template from Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 that God formed man from the dust of the ground and then he breathed into man the breath of life. So there is a part that must come from earth. And then there's a part that can only come from God. So we are responsibilities to provide the part that will come from earth, right? And God's responsibility is to provide the part that can only come from him. A man of God said it this way, that God will not do what you should do, and you cannot do what only God should, God can do, okay? So there's that, uh, what I call it division of labor in that sense. And, you know, sometimes we expect God to do, and it's just... I know it may sound funny to us here, but there are people that think this way, that God would, you know, someone is looking for a job. The person doesn't apply and says, God would, God would put, if God wants me to have a job, he will give the employer a dream. And in that dream, the employer will have my email and you email me, then I'll know it is God. Okay, you are going to be broke and jobless. You know, people expect that. So essentially, God will not do what you should do. Okay, but you should not try to do what only God can do, all right? So there's that balance there. Um, all right, so, and I, we, we gave, you know, several examples of just how every supernatural process has a super and a natural um, partnership. Now, what we will do next week is now begin to look at, remember the title is The Laws of Victory. 
What we'll do next week is begin to look at specific ways in which we partner with God so that we can live a supernatural life. I, I just strongly believe that in this season, God wants us to live that abundant life, okay? It's not a testimony that you live below the standard God had for you. And I don't want us to go to heaven and we now see that, oh my God, all these things, I could live it. And oh, wow. And God says, yes, you could live it. It was in the word of God. You just didn't, you know, apply your faith. So I want us from next week, we'll begin to see practical ways in which we can partner with God so that the supernatural can come in our lives. Um, because God wants us to live this life supernaturally. In fact, uh, my spiritual mentor says it this way, that God wants us to live our natural life supernaturally and then live our supernatural lives naturally. The same way it is natural for us to drink water, eat food. God wants us to live that um, supernatural life with that kind of frequency, okay? All right, we are, uh, you know, fast past the time. And we have to close now. But let me ask us, do we have any questions um, so far? Is there anything that I said that is unclear or anything that, you know, you just want us want me to clarify on or, um, you know, to explain better? I'll probably just take a question if we do have that. Uh, for those of us on Mixeller, please, you can drag, sorry, you can type in your question. And if you do have any, any questions, anyone? Any questions, anyone? And while that is going on, please, uh, just before we go, as always, I would love to hear what is one thing that you are taking away from today's um, session. Please drop it in the comments, in the comments uh, before you leave, before we wrap up, just drop that in and um, also drop your questions if you do have any, okay? All right. Um, well, let's, let's say a word of prayer as we, as we begin to wrap up. You can keep typing your questions and everything, um, or, you know, your learning points. But let's say a word of prayer as we do so. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you for the expression of your of your word to us and the revelation of your will towards us um, concerning how you want us to live. And Father, we ask that you, you expand this truth in our consciousness, expand this uh, revelation in our hearts, and that we go from here carrying the consciousness of how you want us to live and any any light that the enemy has planted in our hearts contrary to the revelation of your word we pray in the name of jesus christ that your your that light be broken down and it be expelled by the truth of your word we ask that you help us to embrace the reality of how you want us to live on earth and teach us how to partner with you to bring your will to pass in our daily experiences in the name of Jesus Christ, we have prayed. Amen. Amen, amen. Okay, God bless you all. I haven't seen our questions, so I'm going to assume there are no questions, but I will not assume that we have not learned anything. So please drop in the comment section something you have learned um, today, uh, just before we go. And if this is your first time joining us, we are excited to have you here. Um, for the sake of time, there's a link that has been dropped in the comment section, both on Mixeller and on, on Zoom. So please just follow the link and um, we would love to meet you. It's just a very short form, um, your name and then you know just your contact details so that, so that someone can get across to you, all right? Um, so yes, let's do that. <clears throat> and the link also to join our WhatsApp group has been shared. So you can just scroll down. Um, Ida, could you please just share it again for, for the sake of those that joined recently okay the link to join our whatsapp group 
Uh, we have a WhatsApp group we, where we manage, you know, our community engagement. Okay. All right. I'm still looking forward to our comments. Okay. Um, Emily says, God does everything in abundance. That's something she had learned today. Thank you. Um, any other person, please drop your comment section before you drop off. All right. Please drop your, your comments, sorry, in the comment section before you drop off today. Don't leave before you drop your comment section. All right. Um, all right. So I'll just stop recording now. Thank you so much, everyone. God bless you. We'll meet again next week, Tuesday, same time, same links. All right. Um, you Mixeller and, and Zoom. God bless you all.